Welcome to Inside Outside Innovation, episode 99. Ryan Jacoby started in systems engineering doing consulting, but when he went to grad school, he stumbled upon a class that changed his trajectory fundamentally, just as design thinking and development has changed the business and innovation world. Now with a ton of experience behind him, Ryan is eager to tell others about what's different now and how to take full advantage of these massive improvements. Get registered today for your Inside Outside Innovation Summit ticket, or if you have already, get excited to hear more insightful content from Ryan Jacoby. To find out more about Ryan and his background, find him on LinkedIn or look up machine.io. For more information on our team, visit next.co, that's nxxt.co, and for information on the upcoming IO Innovation Summit, May 29th through 31st here in Lincoln, Nebraska, visit theiosummit.com. So, I mean, you've been in this space for a while. I know that you, I think you ran the New York office of IDEO for a while, and, and I know you've worked yeah. for you know, some amazing companies like the New York Times and Google and Marriott, and, and the list goes on and on. What have you seen that kind of the evolution of design thinking or evolution of lean startup and some of the other things that you've seen over the years, and, and how's it kind of evolved, and how are people now approaching this particular topic? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's become more and more understood and um, accepted within organizations. So, you know, I joined IDEO in 2005, coming out of business school, and was there through 2012, um, a couple years out in the Bay, and then for five years helping uh, be part of the team that opened the New York office, and as you said, ran that office for the last couple of years. You know, prior to 2005, you know, that that you know, who is IDEO and how do they work, uh, and other firms, you know, um, Frog, uh, Jump, Ziba, you know, all these sort of firms that sort of came from that industrial design heritage um, or interaction design heritage, you know, they were getting more and more popular. Companies were finding them uh, as well. They were running you know, parts of their business or focused on transformation, so helping uh, companies learn how to incorporate these these systems and approaches and processes, and then you have these books being written that changed the way that folks sort of thought about that. Uh, you know, it was a different point of view, a different way of working within organizations that people wanted to try and then in some cases adopt. Uh, and so like that, that machine of publicity and awareness has just continued to happen when it comes to design thinking. Um, in, in parallel to that, you know, you've got agile software development, which was similar to me as a systems engineer in its, in its precursor forms also starting to take off because you know, more and more software is getting built. You have Mark Andreessen talking about software eating the world. And, and, you know, that's, that's certainly true in my experience. And so, you know, finding prototyping approaches to solving problems and investing the least to learn the most and doing things in a, a repeated iterative way, if we want to use that word iterative, I guess, you know, that becomes more and more popular within software. In, you know, in a lot of ways, they're, they're very parallel ways of thinking. So, um, I think they've self. I think they've reinforced each other. Design thinking, lean startup in the enterprise, agile, um, and you know, it, there's a lot of discussion sometimes about like when to use which process and why. Right. Um, but honestly, I think they're 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 self reinforcing. And when you when you squint and you look across uh, those methodologies, it's about prototyping. It's about customer focus, it's about, you know, understanding what your assumptions are and testing those in some sort of experimental way. It's about 
you know, not try to try not to write a, a big seven figure check. If you can write a six figure check or a five figure check or even a four figure check and learn just as much. And, you know, I think that shared DNA across those problem solving methodologies is, is why they're, they're, they're reinforcing one another. And, you know, that's what I've, that's what I've seen. I think also, you know, clients have gotten better. You know, they've gotten more able, more capable. We, you mentioned the New York Times, you know, machine, we opened machine in 2012. We worked with uh, the Times on, on a lot of different projects. Uh, and over that time frame, uh, I've also worked with them on capability and seen them build their own capabilities inside. And the designers uh, working in-house, you know, certainly within larger startups, that's, that's certainly the case. But within uh, lots of different types of organizations, uh, especially those that kind of bend towards this design world, uh, they, they've just gotten better and better. And you know, the software development processes have also, you know, in, in many cases gotten better and better. And, you know, that for me has been, you know, exciting to see. And it makes it easier to work with clients, in my opinion, to, to, to go further, faster uh, with them. And that's, that's definitely been been my experience. You know, the companies that have embraced capability building have been able to do that. You know, the, the challenge is competing for the talent, um, you know, in certain geographies, of course, or um, in attracting talent into certain geographies. Yeah. But that, that capability has been getting better and better, too. Yeah, I think the the also the you know the move towards more cross-functional teams and, and some of the tool sets that are, are giving people the ability to kind of create for themselves where you don't have to necessarily be a you know, a coder or a programmer from the get-go to kind of spin up an idea or spin up an experiment um, yeah. or spin up a prototype. You know, those things are all becoming more accessible to the quote-unquote average human there. Uh, and yeah. so it kind of gives you an opportunity to become an experimenter or, or a builder uh, that you didn't have necessarily the chance before. Yeah, I think that's such a good point. One of the important things to know about me, you know, I have these background, this, this background that I mentioned, but, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a trained designer. The code I used to write was really bad. Nobody wanted to put any of that stuff into production. You know, it could sort of brute force things, but, you know, I'm not, I'm not the best designer. I'm not the best developer. And so in order to get anything done, I have to work with people that have those skills when I can. Right. Um, but what I find is that, um, and just just to build on what you're saying, like if you're willing to pick up a pen, and it's easier these days to do that, you know, pick up a metaphorical pen uh, using prototyping tools, but also just you know picking up a pen and sketching something out and and making something concrete, you can get a lot done. Uh, you can put a lot of rough stuff in front of consumers these days, and I think that's also a shift. Uh, one of the designers I work with pointed this out to me. You know, she said. One of the, the, the things she's noticed is how much easier uh, it is to work with consumers around new ideas sooner. Like the idea of rough ideas, and they're totally willing to, to go with you and improve them and tell you what's wrong with them in a way that you know maybe wasn't the case 10 years ago. You know, maybe that's because people are downloading you know however many apps they are a year, yeah. checking them out, trying them, and then deciding whether or not they like them. People have developed that. People, you know, just generally have developed that that level of sophistication about like, hey, this doesn't work as well as I want it to, um, and you can right. make it better, and they'll work with you on that. And I think that that that's a difference than when I started this stuff 15 years ago or whatever it was. Well, it also seems like the consumer themselves are, are you know, I mean, think about you know, 15 years ago when you're developing enterprise software, it didn't really have to be look good or designed well because you're kind of forcing on folks to actually use it in the in the enterprise. But nowadays, everybody's so used to 
you know, the Amazon experience experience or, or whatever. And so you almost have consumers that are more savvy and kind of know that they can push, you know, companies to make things that are useful uh, for them. And, and they have that power that they maybe didn't have before. Yeah. And, so, and, and they'll, they'll download something and try it and abandon it. And so you can convince yourself they like it really yeah. quickly, but, but they're not really using it too, because they're like, this just doesn't work. So let's let's jump a little bit. Uh, so you've got a new book out coming uh, coming. It's called Making Progress: The Seven Responsibilities of Innovation Leader. It's uh, being published by uh, the Sense and Respond guys. Uh, they have a new press out, and so I think you're one of the first authors in that uh, particular series. And so uh, I'd love to talk a little bit about the book itself, and then maybe a little process about how uh, you became an author and and uh, and what people can expect from uh, from picking up a copy of this. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah, so this came about. So I, you know, I work with Josh and Jeff and Vicky a bit here in Brooklyn, um, who are the, the the founders of the press. And so Josh was telling me about this this idea of practical, quick, focused reads for business and innovation leaders, and you know, that that speaks to my heart. Like you know, having written things in the past and articles in the past, the way that. Um, that I've always tried to, to do that is to try to imagine somebody I know is working on the problem and just write down what I know that might be able to help them. And so that, that seems to line up with where Josh and, and Vicky are taking the press. And so Josh was asking me, um, you know, you know, would you, would you have some ideas? And so we actually prototyped that, you know, I created, you know, maybe three or four different ideas for a book. We kept coming back to this central question or premise which which leads to the book making progress, which is if you're an innovation leader, what's the job? Like really, what's the job? And um, I have this quirk where I I generally accept every LinkedIn invitation. Uh, I've worked in uh, venture capital before, and you never know what's going to come over the transom. So it's just good to be open uh, to, to folks. And so when you do that, you see a lot of weird job descriptions. You know, people sort of asking, "Are you interested in you know coming on board our company to help with innovation leadership?" And that that set of descriptions for me have always have always been you know fairly baffling and confusing. <laughs> and you look at them, and you're like, wow, that's a lot of stuff you're asking me to do. Right. But I can't necessarily see how it's going to move the organization forward. You have a point of view on that. You're an innovation leader, and that that title could be head of product. It could be head of innovation. It could be chief innovation officer. It could be um, head of growth. There's there's lots of different um, roles and titles within organizations. But the job descriptions generally aren't um, being very clear about, you know, what does it really mean to to be successful in that job? And so that's what we right. thought to do in the book is say, okay, well, you know, if you are an innovation leader, what's the job? And then what are the responsibilities that will help you to, to make progress? So and that's the answer. It's like, overall, if you're, you've got to help the organization make progress, and that can be a commercial organization, it could be a startup, it could be a a nonprofit or, you know, a church, like your goal is to create new ways to make an impact for the organization and, and, and scale that impact in the way that's aligned up uh, with the, the mission of your organization. And you should understand what progress making means. You should help people kind of have a clear view of where we're going to try to do new things and for what reasons. And we think of that as, as having an innovation agenda. Um, you have to build Teams that can build uh, and, uh, and 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 support them in that, and there's a lot been written there. You got to give great feedback, and just you know, we have seven of these responsibilities in the book, which we'll talk about at the conference, of course. Um, but they're all laddering you know, up to you know, ultimately at the end of the day, at the end of the hour, at the end of the week, um, you're trying to make progress. You're trying to move things forward, 
in that the the types of initiatives that are making progress should, and uh, it just doesn't always happen, but they should be the places that get the investment. So if you're an innovation leader, you know, in that in that type of role, that's what that's what you should be doing. You should be setting it up so you your teams can make progress, and the places that are leading the progress get more investment, and then you basically starve the places that aren't. Well, I think that's so important. You, know, you the responsibility number one is define the progress and what is innovation to that company. And you know, I see where a lot of companies kind of go off the rails very quickly as they kind of grab for the the new shiny innovation object, whether it's hey, we need to start an accelerator or we need to start investing in startups or, or whatever that kind of flavor of the day is, without really defining what their innovation thesis is and and how are they going to be approaching uh, innovation? How much of it's going to be done inside the walls versus outside the walls, et cetera. And so I really liked uh, that stood out in the book uh, specifically about how do you define progress to begin with and and what are you going to be measuring yourself on? And then I think some of the other core areas as far as, you know, that focus on team, you know, the, the, Innovation can't be done by, you know, one individual within an organization and having that cross-functional team and, and more than just a cross-functional team, but but having a, the folks that actually can build and get feedback and, and make progress is, is so critically important. Yeah, yeah. The, you know, just on the team point, I am um, certainly a fan of smaller focused teams that you know, have, have either the inclination, um, but ideally the inclination and the experience to build. To, to create the services, to prototype, to design, to research, to, to, to make action, and less about framing and less about process within those teams in that organization itself. I end up uh, talking a lot about you know, the difference or just, you know, being cautious around cross-functionality um, and where mm-hmm. we care about um, informing others rather than um, co-opting them into the, to the building itself, um, the, the building process itself. You can easily have a 15-person cross-functional team that meets, you know, one hour a week um, for 52 weeks and get nothing done. And we see that, you know, we see that all all the time. And that is a really bad allocation of resources. And I would bet, you know, um, all day uh, long on the teams that are these smaller focus teams that that are building on behalf of the organization and involving them in some ways. But they right. aren't defined by those cross-functional relationships. Not having, you know, dead baggage or just people on the team because, hey, I need a developer on here or or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, you wanna you wanna you wanna bring people in in order for them to be the most um, um, successful. So, you know, at Stanford, uh, you know, I got a chance to, to to meet and work with a guy named Bob Sutton, um, who you know is all kinds of, of interesting <laughs> to, and, and and writes the most <laughs> amazing stuff and. Claims none of it as original, but you know all of it. You know to me is, um, and he he pointed me to this this book a guy named Hauser called Notes on Directing. It's about putting on you know, Broadway plays, and it's a it's a great leadership book, uh, especially if you're in a a, a creative environment. And uh, something that's it's you know stood out to me is like you never want to keep the talent waiting. So if you're up there trying to right. decide what the the, the play is going to be, but you're not sure. And all the actors are sitting around watching you not know. Um, that's just a demotivating, <laughs> silly way to use their time. And um, and yeah, I see this. I see like really talented developers or designers or researchers or salespeople, you know, kind of waiting in the wings. Uh, and you know, it, they're just they're just waiting. And you know, the best of them are going to make and create 
in spite of the waiting. Um, but you know that's 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 hard to do, um, uh, and most folks are going to kind of wait and get dissatisfied. And in some cases, that actually leads to situations where they they can be counterproductive on the team, where they can get um, um, uh, demotivated and frustrated, and then they'll start you know um, kind of working at cross purposes for what what the team needs to do. And so, you know, this is back to this idea of, of, of innovation leadership. It's like, you know, think about your teams right now and where do you have talent that's just waiting around and getting demotivated and what can you do to reallocate or um, shift um, resources in such a way that they're not doing that? Because, you know, that, that talent is, that incremental hour of that talent is worth uh, a tremendous amount as well. Absolutely. So you're coming out to, to Lincoln, Nebraska for the Inside Outside Innovation Summit here. Uh, what are you looking forward to most as far as what opportunities are you looking to share uh, with the audience or, or with the people uh, coming to the conference? I'm, I'm really excited to hear how a, a different set of organizations and companies that I don't see that frequently, perhaps, are, are tackling some of these challenges. You know, a lot of our clients are, are here in the New York metro region of the East Coast. We have lots of clients in and around Chicago. You know, but like there's just so much interesting work happening in organizations and I just wanna I just wanna know what problems people are trying to solve and how they're going about solving those problems and you know that's how I'm that's 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 what I'm excited excited to do. Um it, it's to connect to people solving those problems and to learn what they are and, and, and to compare and contrast and see if if we if we can learn from, from one another. And then to share to share the book and some of the thoughts in the book. You know, in the talk, I'm going to try to be very anecdotal and, and story-based uh, to, to sort of, you know, raise these situations uh, in a way that it might be approachable to people. But, you know, thinking, of, thinking about, like, what do we do when our, our executive team goes to the cocktail party or takes the corporate jet for the inspiration tour and comes back saying, hey, what about AR? You know, and like, yeah, right. where, how do you head that off or embrace that that moment? You know, and I think you know everyone who works in the space probably can relate to things like that. Um, or if you're working on these problems, how do you survive? You know, how do you how do you uh, build a team that can repeatedly do this over time? And you know, I I don't I don't know I, I don't have any facts on this. Um, I'd love you know the folks that do the research in this world to do studies of how long different structures last and. And in, 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 in why they, they come and go, but they definitely come and go in my experience. And so, you know, the, the organizations that um, aren't getting started and shut down, what's the difference? You know, and, you know, I suspect it's about, you know, them being able to make progress, being really efficient with capital, being able to tell that story and being, being able to start and stop things that stop and start things when they make sense to start and stop them. So uh, we're going to, we're going to talk about that and how that, how that relates to, the job of, of an innovation leader. And my expectation, my assumption is that, you know, everybody that's coming to Lincoln, is, you know, in one way, shape or form, an innovation leader within their organization, whether it's a two-person startup, 150-person nonprofit, or, you know, a $50,000 multinational CPG company. That wraps up another episode of Inside Outside Innovation. Thanks for listening. Ryan Jacoby is just one of a slew of excellent speakers that are sure to inspire and motivate you in your pursuit of meaningful innovation. As soon as you register for the summit, let us know on Twitter at the IO Podcast or at the IO Summit. 
Until next time, go out and innovate.